Welcome to Water Beyond Earth, a podcast series where we explore the world of lunar water extraction and purification. Our model example is the LUVEX project, a collaborative European endeavor for lunar water extraction and purification technologies. Join us as we present the project vision, as we examine the importance of water in space exploration and discuss the technical aspects of water extraction and purification. Each episode will bring you closer to understanding a future in which astronauts will sustain themselves and their exploration voyages by using the resources they find beyond Earth's boundaries. Welcome to the Water Beyond Earth podcast. In this episode, our focus will delve deeper into the technical aspects of the LUVEX project. Specifically, we'll be exploring the process of extracting water from regolith. We're delighted to have two guests. Luca Kivit is a researcher at the German Aerospace Center in Bremen. He's pursuing his PhD at the Synergetic Material Utilization Young Researchers Group. He has multiple years of experience in the space industry, specifically on in-situ resource utilization and space mechanisms. His educational background is mechanical engineering and space systems engineering. In the LUVEX project, Luca is responsible for the water extraction and water capturing subsystems, which are the systems that will take the lunar icy regolith and separate the water and potentially other volatiles from the dust so that it can be purified. And our second guest is Christopher Kreuzig. Christopher is a researcher working on his PhD at the Technische Universität Braunschweig in the Institute of Geophysics and Extraterrestrial Physics. He started his work in December 2018 and designed and built up the Kofi Lab Laboratory from scratch, starting with an empty room. This facility is currently used for cometary simulations by the team in Braunschweig. For the LUVEX project, he's using the lab infrastructure and specifically its main part, the L-chamber. Christopher's role in the project is the integration of all systems in the lab and mainly fitting all the water extraction hardware in the limited space inside the chamber. In addition to that, he's overseeing the running of the chamber and surrounding infrastructure during the experiments, including the production of water ice for the experiments. Welcome, Luca and Christopher. Hey there. Uh, that all sounds very complicated and complex, so I'm very happy to have you here and hope to learn about the meaning behind your bios and, and your roles in LUVEX. I was thinking of starting with uh, asking you to provide like a more general overview for the LUVEX project's primary focus on water extraction from the lunar soil um, and its significance in the space exploration. So yes, the, the, the LUVIX project um, is actually very unique because, well, it's already been proven by experiments that one could theoretically, uh, sorry, not theoretically, that one could extract water from, from these lunar regoliths. But what is very unique to LUVIX is that we're going to do it on a very large scale. So we're going to actually, per experiment, get uh, more than half a liter of water. And we're also going to do it in a very relevant environment. So we have a very deep vacuum. We have a very cold temperature, um, exactly as it could be on the lunar surface. Um, so the combination of the scale and the, the relevant environment is going gonna, is gonna to really push the technology to its next level. I see. And when we talk about the environment, that's probably a question to you, Christopher. 
uh, you developed the whole laboratory starting from the empty room. Uh, so can you tell us more? Uh, what are the key differences between Earth and Moon's conditions when it comes to simulating the lunar environment in the laboratory settings? Yes. So first of all, in the Moon, there's basically no atmosphere. So the pressure is very, very low. So that's why we need a big vacuum chamber, which is basically a big box of metal. In our case, it's one and a half meters high and it has 70 by 70 centimeters ground space. And this thing, just the metal box, weighs about 1.3 tons because it has to be very thick because the surrounding air pressure tries to compress it. That's why the walls have to be quite thick. And the pressure inside is normally around 10 to minus 6 millibar, which is a very weird number, but that means the pressure is lower than the atmospheric pressure by a factor of 1 billion. So there's really no air left, basically. So that's why we need big pumps to achieve that. So we have very low pressure. And the second key thing is on the moon, it's very cold. So in the craters, it would be down to 30 Kelvin. So that's minus 240 degrees Celsius. And on other places, it's a bit warmer, but generally it's very cold. So we try to also get to a cold temperature. So in our case, we are sitting between 80 and 100 Kelvin in our chamber because we are using liquid nitrogen because that's the only feasible way of cooling something, which is not too expensive. But still, to keep that chamber at this environment, it uses up like 1,000 liters of liquid nitrogen every day. So it's a lot of cooling power going in there to keep it cold. And that's the environment we can give for the Lubex project. The only thing we cannot give is on the moon, you only have a sixth of the gravity on Earth. And of course, on Earth, we can't change gravity. So our particles are just much heavier than it would be on the moon. But other than that, we are trying to get as close to the moon environment as possible. And how, how big is that chamber? So it's one and a half meters high the inner, on, in the inside, one and a half meters high, and it's 70 by 70 centimeters on ground floor space. Okay, so pretty big. So you can actually test like a pretty big um, machineries. And does it run all the time or it's something that you just like turn it on and turn it off when you need it for like specific experiments or it's something that like constantly runs, I don't know, throughout the time timeline of the project? So it is designed to run almost forever. So of course, if okay. you have to work on it, you have to turn it on. You have to turn it off. So yeah. you have to get air into the chamber so you can work inside. But for example, in the Dubex project, we designed it to run like for two months, so like 60 to 70 days in, a, in one go. So wow. we never open the chamber in between. The pumps are running always anyway because the pumps don't like to be turned off. They just break if you turn them on and off too often. Okay. <laughs> the big pumps, you only turn off for an oil change like four times a year, other than that, they are always running. Crazy. But the self the cooling systems, all the valve system mount is all fully automated. And so basically you can keep it on forever. The only thing is you have to supply nitrogen to it. So okay. it's have a lot, so you have to refill a lot. Wow, other that, than that, that, sounds very, that sounds very impressive. Um, okay, so having that experimental setup, Luca, could you please uh, describe the Luvex experiment and explain to the listeners the steps in the process of the experiment of how the lunar regolith is converted into water. Like, if you can give us like as visual description of what's actually happening. Yes. So at the start of our experiment, we will put in in a sort of crucible. We call it. It's uh, basically. Uh, a different word for an oven, uh, we put in this crucible our icy regolith mixture. So this is the fake moon sand, moon sand that we can get on Earth. 
that is chemically very comparable to the, the moon regolith. And we mix ice into that so that we have a mixture that, that, uh, that we think it, it is also um, like that on the moon. So that is the starting condition of the experiment. So then we place that in this crucible um, and we take the vacuum there so that the starting conditions are like they would be on the moon. Mm-hmm. So when we start, we actually need to heat this uh, this icy regolith mixture because our goal is to sublimate the ice that is inside the this this icy regolith, and it will sublimate because the starting condition is a vacuum, meaning the ice will directly go from a solid to a vapor. Once it's then a vapor, uh, it should outgas from the from the lunar regolith from the dust, and then this. Uh, vapor will travel towards our capturing subsystem. So then we have, at this point, we have extracted the water from the from the dust, from the regolith, and now we need to actually capture it, collect it, and um, and store it some way for further processing. So what will happen is, okay, we've heated it, the water vapor is outgassing, and then it's traveling towards our cold trap, which is a very cold surface where the water vapor will again deposit. So basically the opposite of sublimation. It will go from a gas again to a solid and freeze on this very cold surface that is then cooled. Uh, Well, on the moon, it could be cooled passively because of the extremely cold temperature that is there. But in the experiment, we will use liquid nitrogen to actually cool it and make sure that it has the right temperature. Okay, I see. So then we have a cold finger that is, uh, there's ice growing on it. It's becoming, it's becoming a big uh, popsicle, essentially. <laughs> and once we think, okay, there's now enough ice on this surface, we want to release it. Uh, releasing this ice you can do in, in, in many different ways, but we've chosen to actually use a heater to start heating the outer surface so that it, like a thin layer outside melts again and it just falls off. Um, and then this ice falls off into a different chamber that we close off so that the, the environment is protected in this small chamber. So you have a bunch of ice lying around and we start heating this up once more to actually liquefy it and get liquid water then outside of our vacuum chamber. So then we have a little channel that runs from this, this smaller chamber, which the ice fell in, to a storage outside of the vacuum chamber. And at that point, we've actually... Well, you can call it distilled, but we have extracted and captured liquid water from the icy regolith. So uh, I so I assume that process that you just described is called thermal extraction. Yeah, this is one way of thermal extraction. Um, in 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 water um, research in space, uh, there's there's well, I mean maybe there's more, but in general, I would say there is two schools of thought. Uh, One is the thermal extraction, where you treat the ice like a volatile, you know, like because, uh, you know, as an ice, of course, it's a solid, it's, 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 uh, it's, uh, you know, something tangible. Um, But with some heat, you can easily transform it into a volatile and then get it where you want it. Mm -hmm. The other way would be to you to see it as a, as a more general mineral as we would on earth. So instead of heating it, you can just try to filter it out by means by by taking away parts that are not ice and and try to keep as much part that is ice and and okay. and always uh have it in the in the solid form um yeah so that that's basically the two ways that that you can see it but most research is actually focused on the focused on the thermal extraction and many different designs on how to achieve that are actually possible Mm-hmm. Um, for Luwak specifically, we chose this 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 crucible 
method because it's uh, well there are many reasons but one of the biggest I would say is that it's not sense it's not very sensitive to the actual state of water on the moon which is uh, unfortunately still largely unknown we don't know exactly how the water exists uh, in these craters on the moon whether it's very small pieces or large chunks of ice or whether it's at depth or immediately already at the surface and that was also one of my questions uh, uh. how like we are not really certain where the where the water is on the moon right so how do you address that how does luvex address these unknowns and what considerations are made in a designing uh, an extraction system do you do you take that into consideration? Yes, exactly. Because because with the experiment, we want to prove, obviously, that then um, getting water on the moon is feasible, is possible. Yeah. Um, but but it's, it's a very big unknown that we don't know exactly in what state the water is there. Uh, because depending on the state, perhaps one, one design might be better than the other. But most design choices we make in Luix are then take, are taking into account, well, first of all, what would be the best way, uh, you know, in, in this case or in that case, depending on the different states of water there are, um, or which are least sensitive to this um, to this to this state of water. So, what method uh, doesn't really care how the water is supplied to it and, and would work nonetheless. Um, that's that's a very big part. But another big part is actually. Um, as, as perhaps you know, in the space industry, a very large part is that you want to demonstrate your technology before it is applied to any bigger scale. So another big design parameter for Lubix was how can we uh, transfer this, this experiment later to a technology demonstrator mission or which, which technology has the highest chance or is easiest perhaps to, to fly on an actual moon mission to get it validated. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I wanted to ask, because uh, so you're talking about the thermal extraction, but in the description of the project, there was also benefication method. Is that what you mentioned, that it's more like you keep it in a more solid state or that's something else? Yeah, beneficiation is essentially... Beneficiation, yeah. Yeah, you want, to, you want to enrich your feedstock as much as possible. So you take away anything that is not ice and you try to keep as much as possible anything that is ice. And if you do this to a certain degree, uh, I don't know exactly the numbers, but let's say you have a material that is 80% ice and only 20% dust at that point, there's probably easier methods to actually, you know, just filter out this 20% dust part and have the have, have pure water at the end, let's say. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So speaking of the ice, how how where from we're getting the ice or the ice regolith can you tell us more about that maybe christopher is that a question to you yes so for this project we are not using standard ice like you would pour liquid water over the dust and then you just freeze it because then you get a solid block and that would be very, very hard for us to actually handle it to get it into our system and also it's quite unrealistic to have a solid block with water and dust mixed so what we are doing here is we're using the same ice as we are using in Braunschweig at the moment for cometary simulations. Mm -hmm. So we developed over the last like 10 years a method of producing very fine water droplets. So the droplets we are using are like a diameter of five micro micrometers. So that's way thinner than a human hair. So it's very, very tiny oh. water particles. And it's actually quite funny how we produce them. So we start with liquid water, just in the standard aquarium. 
with liquid water inside. Then they place the piezo in the metal inside, which is vibrating. And it's normally used to get very fine water droplets onto cannabis plants. So uh, to what? Onto cannabis plants. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> that's a, a quite interesting technology where we, what we're using here. But that's a very easy way to get a very fine mist of water droplets. And then we use gaseous nitrogen, and that is just taking the droplets with it and blows it into liquid nitrogen. And in there, it instantly freezes. So if such small particles of water go into a very cold liquid and liquid nitrogen, they instantly freeze to water ice. And so in the end, you get like a soup of liquid nitrogen and water ice. And we just put that in another vacuum chamber. We keep it cold and we pump out all the nitrogen. And in the end, you get very fine water ice. And that is then super dry. It looks like powder sugar. It also has the same consistency. Just if you touch it, of course, it melts. Wow. So you can be very cold the whole time to, before we start the experiments. But the good thing is we really know the, we know exactly how this ice is looking like. So we took uh, electronic microscope images of it. So we really know how those particles look like. We know how much we have produced of it. We can produce it now at a quite large scale also automatically. So it is not like do it done by hand, but we just turn on the machine, wait for a few hours, and then we get like a kilogram of ice. And then we just mix it with the moon regolith and place it in the chamber. How do you mix it with the regolith? Do you like have special methods to assure that it's like consistent enough? Or... We are still working on that. So we are we managed to get it on a small scale of already good, but we have to keep in mind that we cannot develop a very complicated method to get a perfect mixture, but then it takes like 10 hours to make a few grams. Because as Lucas mentioned, we want to get out like half a liter of water and with only five to 10 percent water constant. So we need several kilograms of this mixture. So we are working on a method which is still mixing it homogeneously. So basically we just put it, the dust, we have to cool the dust down, of course, first. So we get the dust cold with liquid nitrogen. Then we add the water ice, we add some liquid nitrogen to make it a bit liquid. And then we use basically the same tools as we would as you would use at home to mix up paint before you put it on the wall. To really steer it in a big bucket and then we get this like mostly homogeneously mixed mud. And then we place that into the chamber. Okay. That's we will be using and we are optimizing it a bit at the moment to get it as homogeneous as possible. That's cool. It sounds like it's such a cool project. Like it must be so much fun to work with it. <laughs> Yeah, um, maybe to follow up on that, uh, because uh, like how we produce this this simulant is then also very important because, uh, as I mentioned multiple times, we, we don't know exactly how how the water is then on the moon, but we obviously have to choose how are we going to prepare a sample and how is that going to look like and, and will what our sample look like, will it be comparable to the moon or anything? But um, But in our experiment, we will have uh, hopefully a very homogeneous mixture of, of dust and ice. Um, in some senses, this is actually can be seen as as the worst case scenario because your your thermal conductivity of, of the dust is, is very bad. It's, it's one of the, the, the bigger issues with with thermal extraction uh, on the moon. And, uh, and now it will be the worst case. So in that sense, it's actually good because if we test for the worst case, then it can only get better, right? Um, but um, but yeah, as I said, we, we don't know yet exactly. So maybe maybe then other designs would be better if, if it was a different mixture. Uh, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what is the like the percentage that you mix it? Is it I don't know fifty fifty or 
how much there is of ice comparing to the regolith? So um, we now we have a baseline for the experiment where we say we we take five percent only. Five percent. So five so percent okay. by weight is only ice um, because there there was one mission uh, where they crashed an empty oh, yeah. uh, an empty tank into a crater on the moon to see what this plume the resulting plume from that crash. Uh, there they measured roughly five percent. I mean plus minus five percent of water in the material so th this is the the closest thing we have to ground truth right now there's mm -hmm. also remote observations that that say it can perhaps be higher uh, there's also lower data points that we found but but yeah five percent is is the the value we have the most confidence in so we'll start with that but we do plan to also test with uh, even lower amounts to see if that would be feasible at all and also some higher amounts to see then uh, you know how does the the effectiveness of the of the design changes with higher amounts, uh, for example. Yeah. And if it's so little, what like what is your I don't know how it's called like efficiency rate? Like, can you how much regolith do you need to extract? I don't know one liter of of water, and how much time does it take? Can you like explain us the process when it comes to like you're on the moon, okay, and then you start gathering regolith, I guess, and like how the, does that process would look like when we're on the moon and how much time would it take? Yeah, so, so efficiency, um, you can you can measure in terms of, of like say energy you need per, per gram of water, for example. Uh, that's one way to determine the efficiency, for example, and that would be uh, very terrible, I would say. Actually, <laughs> uh, you would need a lot of energy to get to get some of the water out, uh, to get to get any amount of water out. Um, so I assume it's solar energy that you'll be using, or yeah, likely solar energy, okay. nuclear energy. Uh, the the thing is, you need a lot of it to produce a decent amount. And um, but yeah, the thing is that. You know, the alternative would be to launch extra mass from Earth. So you have to get it from Earth into space and then land it on the moon, which is is still even more amounts of energy to to get to like to get like a similar amount of extra mass. Then, so uh, it's it, it's better than that. Um, we're confident of that. Uh, Time-wise, it really depends uh, on on the complexity of your system. If you have a very simple design that um, that that maybe is not very fast, but you can perhaps have multiple uh, water extractors on the moon, then then it might take uh, up to weeks to get. Um, well, I mean, it, it yeah, it, it depends on a lot of factors. But some of the simulations we run, like after a week, you would have 50 kilograms of water. Okay. Which I mean, which is maybe a nice addition for you know for a greenhouse or for a an astronaut who wants some extra drinking water. But in terms of propellant, uh, it's not going to get you very far. You would need more. You would you would need tons of, of, of water to actually get you back from the moon uh, to Earth. Okay. But then do you envision like scaling up of that process or any additional technologies that would be implemented alongside the like what Luvex is proposing to actually like get the water that we would need for, I don't know, uh, re refueling rockets to go to Mars or having like a proper permanent human habitat on the moon? Exactly. Yeah, I think once we reach that point, uh, so let's say we've tested the technology, uh, we've done we've done LUEX on the moon. Basically, uh, we know that it works. 
uh, at that point, the whole process will look very much, I think, like any industrial process on Earth, where each step of the value chain is is hyper-optimized and, and localized in, in specific points. And at that point, um, it, it will not look like Lewix anymore. It will be a big industrial process uh, then um, that is very much like Earth, except it's on the moon, it's vacuum, and, and for those things you have to take care, obviously. But uh, but other than that, it will be a, a big factory. Yeah. Okay, okay, I see. So in that sense, Luex is kind of just like a start of the big process where you want to learn things. Indeed, yeah. It's it's the first step of, of demonstrating that the technology uh, is feasible on the moon and, uh, and and hopefully we can also show that it's um, in any sense, economically feasible, that you can get efficiencies that are high enough so that you don't need too much electricity, that we have processes where we don't mm, lose too much of the water that we excavate from the moon. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. and can you list like the main, the main uh, like knowledge or the main lesson that you're aiming to gain from Luvex? Um, I think one of the biggest thing will be that we 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 learn. Um, obviously, we we plan for a lot of specific outcomes, but this is one of the first times that we test the whole process chain. So in Luvex, we start from the real environment, something close to the real environment uh, on the moon, and we extract. And in that same environment, we also capture, we liquefy, and then we purify everything. So. Um, I think now we will learn actually uh, what we don't know yet about everything. Where, 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 where will issues arise that uh, we couldn't foresee before testing? You know, like simulation simulations can tell you can tell you the answers to the questions you have, but experiments also also answer questions you didn't yet have. So I think this is one big part of Luex, um, and and it will help then drive this technology forward. Yes. Mm -hmm. Nice. And maybe to add on, yeah, maybe to add on that is that also, of course, in the Lurex project, we were limited by the design of the chamber we are using already. So we didn't build up a chamber from scratch. So we had to get everything fit into the system and we have to make it work. And for example, that already takes like 20 different valves to actually manage all the different parts of the system. So it's very complicated. And so we had to choose also a design for the which we can actually do in this lab. And to explain the biggest problem with getting water vapor out is that if you have very fine dust and you stack it up, like in our system, with like a 10, 15 centimeter high uh, stack of dust, that is basically airtight. So the, the dust particles are so small that even a few layers of it make it basically impossible for vapor to travel through it. So it takes enormous, we can get it warm. It's also the thermoconductivity is very bad. So if you just put a heater on top, the bottom will never see the seed, so we have to get the heat down into this uh, pot of dust. And also, if you're creating water vapor at the bottom, it takes ages to get through this dust up to the surface. So we have to steer it, and we have to get this, the vapor from the bottom through the dust up to the top surface. And that is a very big challenge if you have very fine granular materials to actually get air or any kind of gas to flow through it. But that's why we also have a steering system and. We were limited there, so ideally we would just have something like a tumble dryer, 
So rotating thumb, which is always pushing the thing around, but that's just impossible to put into a vacuum chamber. So we had to find something else which is the next best thing. And so if you cause, if you go to the moon, you could do something different, but we have to keep, we have to get it working in our labs. So that's why we have chosen a compromise here. I see. I see. So if you would have unlimited budget without going, without going to the moon, staying on earth, but like, what would be the main improvements that you would do to like, in order to, I don't know, get better results or, or test it easier to make your life easier during the experiments? So if budget would be unlimited, I think the thing we would change is the crucible to good, get something like a tumble dryer system in there. Mm-hmm. It's really complicated and would be very, very expensive. And you also <laughs> find the whole system around it. But if we were limited, not by money, not by space in any vacuum chamber or so, I think we would start changing it there. And then maybe Luca can say something. Would you also change on the liquefaction despite just make everything bigger and easier to work on? Yeah, yeah, I think I would get um, even even nicer certain parts. Like there's a lot of mechanisms involved, and um, I think perhaps also the cold trap we could redesign it into into very interesting ways, very very optimized ways. Uh, we could even think of different ice release mechanisms, you know, because this ice then grows on this cold surface. And, um, and and now we use a heating foil to heat that up to release it uh, because because it's already there to regulate the temperature somewhat. Uh, so that there it was a good good sense to use, you know, like to have one piece have two functions, let's say. Uh, yeah, no, I don't know. There there are many things. Uh, I don't think I can I can <laughs> come up with something so quickly. But uh, so yes. good that it's just like a starting project, and then hopefully the next one will bring more uh, solutions and more possibilities yes, yes. <laughs> um, most likely change on the cold trap is basically if i would say we not release the ice by heating but we would just shake it off so we yeah. try to implement something like that so we just vibrate the cooling the cold fingers to get the ice for, to fall down but that was just impossible to fit in the system we have so we had to use sec- the heating mechanism but that's something we would certainly implement so we don't have to stop cooling it and heat it up and then cool it down again but we would just like hit it with a big hammer, it dies, falls off, and it just starts accumulating again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wanted to ask you also, like, what is the most exciting thing for you for this about this project? Is there any like particular thing? Is it the technology that you're developing, or is it, I don't know, the the possibilities that it might bring in the future for lunar exploration and ISRU technologies? Is there like a specific thing that just drives you? I think. For me, yeah, the most exciting in the end is is really that that we're doing a, a very large scale experiment. We're gonna we're gonna have quantities of water extracted that that you can have in a bottle and you can see you can share it's it's gonna be there. So I think it it will be uh, <laughs> well I think there will be like tears in my eyes when I see the first results coming and then the first <laughs> liquid water you know like the the vacuum chamber is crying and so will I <laughs> so <laughs> I will also extract some water uh, I think at that point I will be very happy to see that you know you come up with the design you you try to do your research as best as possible to and to then see that being realized, you know, with all with all everyone helping and, and such a big team, I think, yeah, once once that 
comes together and actually works, uh, that would be the most exciting for me, definitely. Amazing. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Then. <laughs> when when are you predicting to have your first bottle of water? Uh, well, I think maybe April. Okay. Uh, Christopher, what do you think? That's optimistic, but <laughs> in the summer of next year, it should we should have something. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. And what about you, Christopher? Yeah, for me, it's since I did build this chamber for a totally different project and something completely different to actually adapt this chamber to fit this in and to get those huge Lurex parts into the system and to get them to work and also, first of all, to design them. So Luca and the DLR did all the extraction mechanisms and all of that, but I was responsible for actually doing the outer shell of it to fit into the system. And just to give you an example, the inner part of it is standing on the bottom plate of the chamber and to the top of the chamber, the gap is 1.5 millimeters. So there is actually no slack at all in the system. So to get it in is super complicated. Wow. You have to design like different machines to actually move the parts in and out because they're also so heavy that you just can't move them by hand. And to really, to, to I have it on the 3D model and I want to, to really see how it's actually fitting in and then get it to work and at the end see, okay, we put dust in and it comes water out. That will be really cool. Nice. That's amazing. Well, then uh, I wish you all the best luck. And, Thank you. Um, yeah, and fingers crossed. And I'm very excited to follow the developments of the project. Uh, thank you so much for explaining us the, the process and the technology behind it. Um, yeah, and I wish you all the best also with your PhD projects. <laughs> yes, thank you, Monica. Thank you for having us. <laughs> thank you. Thanks. The podcast miniseries Water Beyond Earth is hosted by LUVEX, a research consortium funded by the European Union Horizon 2022 Space Science and Exploration Technologies Program under grant agreement number 10108937.